What is the thing that you most need this morning? Wow, that's deep to start, isn't it? What do you need? Some sleep. Maybe it's you need the postal service to work a miracle and deliver a card you never sent. If that's the case, well, that's not going to happen. Um, of course, I'm not in that position. Um, <laughs> well, what do you need this morning? For some of you coming today, uh, that would be a question you might have to think about a little. Some of you might be that there are definite things you need right there already. Now, with a minute I thought about needs, my mind was cast back to a, a, a pyramid or triangle I drew in my uh, geography book when I was in about year 10 at school, which may or may not appear behind me in a second. And the name of a man called uh, Maslow, I think his first name was Thomas. Any ring any bells for people? Oh, some obviously found ge- geography a little more traumatic like me. Remember Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Right, it's great. Um, and uh, Maslow said that as regards human needs, there are a whole load. And I don't think you can see very clearly the ones on the left. And they're in like a, in a pile. But be honest, like you did this at school at some point or have done this. Or, yeah, okay, good. I'm glad my education was pretty typical. Um, and he said at the bottom you've got like the physical needs. So you need kind of to eat and sleep, which someone said over here. Uh, and then as you move up, you go to kind of love, self-esteem and things like that. And um. I guess for some of us with our needs, we might be able to slot them in somewhere there. Um, you might say, well, actually, yeah, for me, the needs are towards the bottom. I need my next meal. I need somewhere to live. You might move up the list um, to kind of a relationship or something like that. But I, I guess our needs usually are not so general as that. You wouldn't slot it and go, oh, actually, what I really need is a bit of self-actualization. Thank you, Maslow. I mean, I have no idea what that even means. Um, so, but we're more specific. For you, I imagine, if you think about this, there is an X... Let's call it X. I need it. The thing that if it happened, it would change my life for the better significantly. And some of us, like I said, may well have come this morning thinking, and I'm coming to church partly because, God, I want you to do X to fulfill my need. Now, what we're going to do today is look at uh, two people who come to Jesus with their needs. And they really do come with their primary needs. And as we've been going through Luke's gospel for a while, we're going to see these two stories. And we're going to see how Jesus does meet their perceived needs. But while he meets their perceived needs, what they think they need, he refocuses their attention actually onto a greater need, what they really need. So if you could, if you've got a Bible, if you could turn to Luke chapter 5. We're going to start with the, the first story, which we'll call uh, the story of the man with leprosy, which is just what the story is. It's not my radical title. <laughs> I just, well, let's call it the story of Bill. I don't know. Um, chapter 5, verse 12, and we'll see here. So here's the first guy. As you'll see, he comes to Jesus with a need, and we'll see what Jesus does. Chapter 5, verse 12. While Jesus... I'll just say, I'm reading from... This is really geeky uh, for those of you who are new here. I'm reading from the NIV today. We've been in the New Living Translation for a bit. I'm taking a break. Oh, I know. Please, oh. Okay, when Jesus, while Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Then Jesus ordered him, don't tell anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Okay, so what's going on here? It looks pretty straightforward. Sick guy comes to Jesus. Jesus heals sick guy. 
great. It's a healing story. We, we can learn from this the power of Jesus, the love of Jesus to heal someone of their sickness. Um, and as you read through it, you might well flick on and that's what you get from the story. But I'd say there are hints. Well, that's clearly the case. This guy's clearly healed. It says the leprosy left him. That is not something that usually happens to people with a skin disease like this. Okay. However, there's hints going on here that there's something else behind the scenes. So, for example, you might think I'm being a little pedantic, but the word healing is not actually used here at all. The guy doesn't come specifically for healing. He comes because he wants Jesus to make him what? clean. He wants to make him clean. And Jesus obliges. He doesn't say you'll be healed. He says, be clean. And there's this puzzling bit at the end where he goes, go to the priests and offer the sacrifices for your cleansing. There's something going on about cleanness and cleansing here that we are assuming is not to do with having a bath. We assume there's something else happening here. And how does it link with healing? Well, to understand this, we've got to know something about skin conditions in ancient Israel. Now, when someone asked you, what did you do at church this morning? I think I'd suggest saying to them, we learned all about skin conditions in ancient Israel and their effects. That will really sell the church to them. Yeah, but I'll try to make it in, jazz it up a little bit. It'll be all right. Okay, a le- leprosy or whatever extreme skin condition this guy had. Probably wasn't what we think of as leprosy, but something similar. It would have um, been uncomfortable and it may well have been life-threatening, actually. But th- that wouldn't have been the main problem this guy had. With leprosy, that wasn't the main problem at all. The main problem that a leper would have was that a leper in that day and age would be excluded from the entire religious and social life of his people, of his nation. So in the Old Testament, uh, law is the law that given to Moses that was the governing law for religious uh, Jews at that time living in uh, Palestine. It was laid down that you'd be put, if you had a skin condition, you were put in some sort of quarantine. And if it looked like it wasn't going away anytime soon, well, then you'd be uh, declared this thing unclean. The passage, I'll read it to you, it's in Leviticus 13, 44 to 46. It says, those who suffer from a serious skin disease must uh, wear torn clothes, let their hair be unkempt, cover the lower part of their face and cry out, unclean, unclean. As long as they have the disease, they remain unclean. They must live alone. They must live outside the camp. Now, living outside the camp was an absolutely awful thing. What it would mean was that you were excluded from basically your own people. You, you wouldn't be able to live and do the things everyone was allowed to do. But even more critically, for a first century Jew, you'd be cut off from the whole religious life of your people. Now, if you're thinking today, you might think, well, that's not, not a great problem. There are other problems apart from the religious aspect. But we've got to understand, for, for Jews, the thing they were most proud about in their uh, national identity was their religious identity. Over and over again, in the Old Testament, God says to the Jewish people, I will be your God and you will be my people. And that was what the main element of national pride would have been for a Jewish person. If you ask an English person, what are you most proud about, about being English? <laughs> this is my notes, I'm not sure where I'm going to go here. St. George and the Dragon, I don't know, something like that. Or our cricket team, or no. Um, but they'd say, you'd say something about being English. The, the Jewish person would say, well, we're God's people. There's a special relationship we have with God. And that relationship was largely conducted through a complex system of rituals at the temple in Jerusalem. Well, a leper would be completely cut off from all that. A leper would be an outcast. And because they're cut off from all that, by extension, they would be cut off from any sort of relationship with God. 
Now, in that context, then, Jesus isn't just healing this man. No, he's returning to him the possibility of a relationship with God. And actually, what he's doing is he's painting a picture through, through this guy, saying, look, I'm taking this guy's uncleanness away. I'm restoring the possibility of a relationship with God. And it's a picture for all of us now and the people then to say, and this is really what I've come to do. I'm here not just to heal sins, uh, to, uh, to heal diseases, but to forgive, to let people get back uh, into cleanness, into a state where they can have relationship with God again. Now, I don't know if you've ever missed that before. I think it's reasonably subtle in the passage. And as you'd expect, it goes completely unnoticed by the crowd. So if we go on in the story, next verse, verse 15. Yet the news about him spread all the more, so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their illnesses. So Jesus' plan to kind of hush the whole thing up doesn't really work very well. And uh, the crowds come. And if he was to ask, well, why are you here, crowds? They would have said, well, we're quite intrigued by your teaching, but there's one real reason. We heard you healed that guy. Well, what about me? Yeah, I was a bit dodgy. My legs are hurting. I've got this. I've got this. It's the healing they come for. They're not coming and saying, I saw that you made the unclean man clean, and I'm unclean, and I want to be forgiven. They miss that completely. Um, Maybe, understandably so. And so in verse 16, when it says, uh, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed, I'd say there's a kind of suggestion here. Uh, Jesus loves healing the sick, and he was healing them, but he'd withdraw because be, somewhere here they've missed the point a little. When he's praying, going, God, open their eyes to what the real deal is here. There's a deeper significance that his healings are pointing towards. And Luke, as he compiles these stories, he hints at it here, but that leads us right into the next story where this whole thing becomes much more explicit. So we've got the, the man with leprosy. Uh, the next one is the, the story of the paralyzed man. And so we'll read on in the passage uh, straight after it says this, uh, Luke five seventeen to 20. One day Jesus was teaching and Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal those who were ill. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. So here we have it more crystal clear. Guy comes to Jesus clearly to be healed, and Jesus just right off the bat this time, he says, I don't want any confusion. Your sins are forgiven. That's your main thing I want to deal with straight away. Now, I love this story. This story is absolutely great. I want us to get into it for a moment because it's, it's an odd story. And uh, as you'll see, there's some surprises here. So I want you to, do, let's do some role play together. I would like you to imagine you were a friend of this paralyzed guy, okay, in this story, okay? Now, I can see John at the back smiling. It's funny. And I'll tell you what, if, if you're really getting to roll, you would be smiling because you are the world's greatest friend, okay? <laughs> there is a, you can give yourself a bit of a pat on the back and kind of, yeah, you know what? Because these, are, these guys' friends, they really are serious friends. I mean, they decide, they see their friend and their friend's situation is bleak. I mean, there's no advanced healthcare in this community. This guy's not going to be getting any restorative surgery or any physio anytime soon. This is a 
a serious condition. If paralysis is serious nowadays, think what it would have been like then. This is appalling. And so his friend, you, you great people that you are, you decide, right, I'm going to round up my friends. We're going to help him. We've heard about this healer, this Jesus. And he healed that guy of something. And while there was something with his skin, he healed him. He's got power. Let's bring our friend to him. So you, get, you take the day off work. Your whole day's out from this. I mean, this is a major operation you're doing. And you, you carry him along. And just as you get to the house, it looks like all your efforts are in vain because Jesus is teaching in a house. It's absolutely packed. You won't get anywhere near him. But you're, a, you're not just a friend. No, no, no. You're BFF. You're, you're the super friend here. And so you think, wait, we're going we're gonna to go here. We're going to go onto the roof with our friend. Now, uh, Ross will vouch for this, but in the office, there are about six flights of stairs, and I can't get to the top without being absolutely exhausted. You know, to climb onto a roof with a man, I mean, this is friendness of the highest order. And they do it. They get it into the top of this house. And then, go even further, committing a significant act of vandalism. They rip open the poor guy's roof. We could go down. Like, what were they thinking? And what was the guy who owned the house thinking? And then, uh, a la Tom Cruise in Mission Impossible, they lower the guy right through the ceiling. There, I mean, these, you, you guys are good. I'd like to applaud you. you you're, the, you're good friends. I hope you're getting into this. I hope you're feeling proud of yourself. And the plan succeeds. Your plan's brilliant. It's not that you drop him as you go up the, to the top of the house. I mean, the logistics here are tricky. You, that could have happened. It's not also that you, you lower him down and he ends up in the middle of the crowd. That could have happened as well. And that could have been awkward because I imagine it was packed. But no, it says right in front of Jesus. So there you are. You're proud of yourself. You've done it. Your friend's there. And the healer's attention is got. The healer opens his mouth and he says this. Young man, your sins are forgiven. What do you think at that point? What's your, what's your instant response? I'll put it, to the, put it to the audience. What do you think? <laughs> why, why, Dave? What's the problem here? <laughs> That's not why we, we did all this work for obvious, Jesus, are you slow? It's obviously for healing. What, I, I do imagine, I mean, this is, I'm making a jump here, but I don't think forgiveness was at the front of these guys' mind when they took the day off work and risked uh, going to prison for wrecking someone's roof. I don't think that was there. I mean, we don't get to hear their response because Jesus, as we see, moves straight on to the religious leader's response uh, here. But I wonder what they would have thought. I mean, it may be a more interesting question. Let's go off the thought experiment for a moment into, onto the guy who's paralyzed. What did he think when Jesus said those words? Was he angry? Oh, how could you? You know what's going on. Are you playing games with me? Was he just disappointed? Maybe he was still expecting. Maybe it was, your sins are forgiven and keep going. I know what you can do here, Jesus. Keep going. Maybe it's more like that. Or maybe, just, just possibly, maybe he understood something that the crowds in the last story had failed to grasp. Maybe he'd understood that even though he was racked with pain and he was totally helpless and his life really had been utterly written off by this illness, that he had a greater need than his paralysis. And it was his sin. And that Jesus could and would fix it. Maybe. Well, you can surely see that the main lesson of these stories then Implied in the healing of the leper, it's made very clear in the story of this paralytic that for these guys, their physical healing was not their greatest need. They needed to be forgiven. And the same is absolutely true of every one of us today. Now, you might have come here today like these two characters, with actually very like them, with serious illnesses. Um, you might be in constant 
pain today and I in no way want to make light of your suffering and your illnesses and your injuries and I'll tell you what at the end of this service or wherever it will be we would love to pray for you it might not be that you're in constant pain you might have just something reasonably minor you think well we'd love to pray for you anyway Jesus heals the sick and uh, we know him regularly healing the sick within our church as well so we'd love to pray for you he is a healer that's in this story we don't want to miss it however I'll tell you even if you came here today paralyzed and were healed by Jesus. It would be absolutely tragic if you left without your greater need dealt with. The need of your sin and the need to be forgiven. You might think, oh, that's, that's spiritual stuff that doesn't make any difference to our lives because how can those things even be equated? Why is sin such a problem? Why is forgiveness our greatest need. Well, I think to help us understand this, we can reflect on these two characters that we've seen in these stories because while they were real, I fully believe they were real people who came to Jesus with real illnesses that were really healed, I think Luke includes these two stories because his main thrust is forgiveness here because their illnesses give a very, very clear picture of what sin does to us and therefore helps us to understand why we need to be forgiven. So let's, first of all, let's think back to the leper. We've done a little bit on this already. Let's think back to the the man with leprosy. Leprosy put a barrier between a first century Jew and the religious life of their nation. They were kept outside the camp. Lepers were unclean. Sin does exactly the same to each one of us, but in a far more profound way. Here's the message of the Bible. That God made human beings to be in relationship with him. In the early chapters of Genesis, Genesis 1 to 3, it talks about God making all of creation. He makes human beings, and uh, the pinnacle of his creation, he puts them in the Garden of Eden. Okay? Now, what was the Garden of Eden all about? I'm sure there was all sorts of great stuff going on in that garden, but the thing that characterizes that garden was a naturalness and ease in relationship with our Creator that has never been seen since. So you read... What's happening? And Adam and Eve wandering around and God's walking about as well. And there's a naturalness to how they communicate. And God's walking, he's talking with them. And the garden represents this, this close relationship in which sometimes you can read that story. And, um, and this is obviously not the case, but you can almost see them as peers. I mean, who's God here? Do they even understand this guy's made them? Because there's a closeness and an intimacy there that's just uh, kind of given. It's just how it is. But of course, Adam and Eve sin. They disobey God's command. They break God's law. God says, one rule, do not eat fruit from that tree. Well, the other tree is absolutely fine. That tree, don't do it. And they do do it. They break his law. And all of us have done just the same. We've all come to points in our life where we know what the right thing to do is, and we know what the wrong thing to do is, and we've willfully done the wrong thing. I don't want to fudge this. Uh, with thinking, oh, but some ethical dilemmas are tricky. Would you steal a loaf of bread if you were starving? I mean, I don't know. Some of you might have been starving and had to steal a loaf of bread. Let's imagine that's not a sin. I don't, don't want to get into that. I'm talking about things where you know you've done something wrong. Surely all of us would say, yeah, we've, we've done that. We've disobeyed our conscience, you might put it like that. Well, that's breaking God's law. And God doesn't need a CCTV or unmarked car or an undercover policeman to rumble you. No, he sees everything. We, it's like we've committed the worst crime. We've been caught red-handed and the cops are coming. That's the situation each of us finds ourselves in as those who have sinned against a totally perfect and just God. 
So therefore, what are the cops going to do when they come? What's the impending judgment that hangs over our heads? Well, let's go back to the story of Adam and Eve. What happens to them when they eat the fruit? Well, there's a number of things God does when he finds out what's happened. Uh, but the key thing is this. They are removed from the Garden of Eden. They are expelled from the Garden. It says they're kicked out and an angel with a flaming sword is put on the door. Now, what does that mean? Well, what it's saying is this. This expulsion from the Garden is decisive. You are not sneaking back in here. You've got to get past an angel with a flaming sword. However that looked, there is a bolt on this door. And actually, for the rest of human history, ever since, we have been outside of the Garden of Eden. We have lived outside of that relationship with God that we were intended for. I think probably now's the time to link it back to the lepers in the Old Testament. We live outside the camp. We are not allowed back in to the place that we should be. Each of us through our sin are unclean, in a sense rejected by the God who should have been defining our life through relationship with him. And I guess part of that rejection and separation from God is now. So I, 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 for Adam and Eve, as you read the story, they, they still react, uh, relate to God a little. He comes and helps them with the odd thing and he talks to them. It's not the same. There's a degree of separation that's not quite the same. But there is something there, I suppose. And, and the guys with leprosy, um, they would have got scraps from the, from, the, uh, from the camp. They would have seen their old friends coming and going. They might not have been able to get close, but there, there was a touch of relationship. And for us today, we still get even, uh, naturally, we get gifts from God. The sun rises on us each day. They're a blessing. Sometimes God communicates. We hear him even in our sin, in our natural state. However, there is a day coming when that judgment and that punishment becomes final and decisive. And there's a firm suddenly, and there's no going back. Everlasting separation from God. In 2 Thessalonians 1, 8-9, which is a horrific verse. And it's not horrific because God is horrific, or the Bible is horrific. It's horrific because of the horror of our sin. To be honest, Paul writes this. God will punish those who do not know him and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and it's linked to what we've been saying and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of his power. Shut out. That's an awful thing. So I guess you can probably see why this is seen as a very serious problem in the Bible. And you'd have thought then, if anyone could fix this problem, really bring forgiveness, they'd be accepted with open arms. Let's go back to the story. Let's see if that's what happens with Jesus. Jesus just said, your sins are forgiven. I can reverse all that stuff. What What do they say? Verse 21. Back to our story. But the Pharisees and teachers of religious law said to themselves, who does he think he is? That's blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. You thought the religious people who understood this sort of stuff should have been, great, someone can forgive sins. They should have been open arms. They were up in arms. They thought this was terrible. Now, obviously, there's something else going on here. Their main concern is, what is Jesus saying about himself here? This is controversial. Only God can forgive sins. Is Jesus making a claim to be God? And as we would know and from, from wider in, in Luke, as Luke unpacks and in other Gospels, yes, that is exactly what Jesus is saying. And we'll come on to that another week. However, it's got to be said, I don't think they're as, as uh, kind of righteous and upright as they're thinking here. Oh, it's blasphemy. 
It's another respect in which, yes, they knew, the religious leaders in Jesus' time knew that only God could forgive, but actually, while only he could forgive, they were the ones who oversaw forgiveness. So they're the ones who oversaw the rituals and determined the way the rules were uh, interpreted. So they really decided who God would be forgiving and how he would be forgiving them. And there is an element here of, oi, oi, forgiveness. Yeah, only God forgives, but this is our domain, thank you, mate. Um, Don't go stepping on our toes here. And you know what, that's how religion worked then, and it's how religion works now. Because actually, all the main religions of the world... They recognize that we have a problem through our bad actions, thoughts, and deeds, and they have a reasonably uniform solution to that problem across pretty much all world religions. This is the deal. You go to religion in that sense, and you say, I want to be forgiven. I want to be cleansed of my sins. Well, here's the answer you'll get, and it'll be slightly different forms in each one, but it's, okay, here, do these rituals and obey these rules and you, I know you've done some bad things, but basically balance it out. Just make sure your, your account of the good is better than your account on the bad. Scales. Outweigh the bad things with the good things. That's the solution of religion to the problem of our sin. I don't know if you're what you would call a religious person here who'd be really trying in your life. Look, I've got a sense I've done stuff wrong. I really would like to have something to do with God. I'm going to try my hardest to balance them out. That's what I'm going to do. I'd suggest, and I'd suggest it because Jesus suggests it, or he doesn't just suggest it, he says it, uh, that approach is massively flawed. It might be a very common approach, but it's a massively flawed approach to our sin. I mean, religion's excellent at highlighting all these good things to do, but it completely ignores the bad things we've done. And actually, good things do not cancel out bad things. And we know this. I can... I can, you can prove this. You can really test this out. And I've got to be careful here because I want to, particularly with Zeke sitting there, I don't want to recommend something here from the front that I don't want you to do. But if you were to commit a serious crime, I'm not recommending you do, I'm saying if you did, you could test this out, okay? You commit a serious crime um, and you end up in court. And you say to your defense uh, lawyer, you say, look, here's my case. This is my full case. I have put a list together of every good thing I've ever done since I was a child read it to the case. This is going to be fine. Okay, it's going to be good. Read it. Now, that may be taken as some sort of character reference, I suppose, and it may depend that your list might be helpful depending on the degree to which you are punished. However, that list is irrelevant to whether you're going to get punished or not because the legal system works with you've done something wrong and you pay for that wrong thing. There's an there's another easy way we can all sort of I need to put anyone straight if they're, they're doing this in their life. Do you know, if you help X number of pregnant ladies with their shopping, it does not give you carte blanche to rob a bank with impunity? I hope you're aware of that. I'm just putting you straight. That is right, isn't it? Yeah, good, a few. That's okay. Now, why is it not the case? Because we know good deeds do not cancel out bad deeds. We're expected to do what's good. If we do something wrong, well, we pay for what we've done wrong. That's how crime works, and that's how sin works. And that's why the religious uh, idea is flawed. Now, Jesus' actions here, then, are primarily to the religious people, because that's where Luke then flicks his attention. He says the religious people respond like this. And what Jesus is saying is this. Religion cannot make anybody clean. It cannot forgive your sins. But I can. 
Jesus is obviously saying in this passage, I can heal. I can heal. He's definitely saying it. I'm, I'm kind of not wanting to miss the obvious here. But there is a louder message. And what he's saying is this, I can forgive you. Religion can't, but I can. I can bring you back into the camp. I can bring you back into the relationship with God that you were meant to have. I can make you clean and I can wash your sins away. But you might ask, but how? Is this just because I'm in a church and not a mosque this morning that you're kind of saying Jesus is the one to do it and someone else will say this, someone else will say this. How does Jesus do it different to these other religions? Well, no, there is method here. Jesus does it because he's the only one who's actually dealt with the problem of our sin. It was a punishment due for our breakages of God's law. And for us to carry that punishment, well, that would have been curtains. Been outside the camp forever, we would not have been able to handle that situation well. However, Jesus, when he died on the cross, paid the punishment for us. It's a serious punishment. It's a Roman crucifixion. That is not a light punishment. That's massive. But what's more than that was what was going on behind the scenes as Jesus called out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As he died, that was some of his final words. What's, what's that? What's God's forsaken him? What was that? That's this. He went outside the camp. He got kicked out of the garden. He was separated from God for us. What should have happened to us happened to him. He's the only one then who's dealt with our sin, so he's the only one who can forgive us our sin. And that is the message Jesus came to bring, and he did it on the cross, but everything he taught up to that time was preparing us, saying, you need forgiveness, and I'm the one who brings it to you. That's what these stories are about. And yet we'll pray for you later if you're sick. And we, we love to pray for people who are ill. And we love it when they get healed. It's great. Whether you're a Christian or not Christian, it doesn't matter. We'll pray for you. But you know what? This is our greatest need. So how does this affect us today? I'd like to first talk to you if you're not a Christian here. And I guess you know where I'm going here. I'd urge you to recognize your need for forgiveness. You need to be forgiven. I'm not saying you're worse than anybody else here. I'm really not. And I'm definitely not saying you're worse than me. Please hear that in what I'm saying. What I'm saying is this. I'm saying that you, like me, have sinned. And that your sin, like my sin, makes you unclean before God and means that you cannot know relationship with him as you should now. And that one day, if you continue in your sins, you'll be finally and irrevocably separated from him forever. Now that's why the Jesus thought even the paralyzed man's biggest problem was his sin over his paralysis. And if you recognize that, what should you do? Let's look back at the story. What what was it about these guys that meant that Jesus healed this guy's sin? Well, it says this. Seeing their faith, that's what it says, lowered through the ceiling. He didn't say seeing their hard work and seeing uh, how carefully they carried him up to the top of that house. No, he said seeing their faith, including the paralyzed man's faith. What does that mean? Well, it means that they saw something in them, that they, they were coming to Jesus. They didn't come for forgiveness. That's a funny thing. So what was their faith? Well, their faith was this guy has authority and power even to heal paralysis. Wow, that's, pretty, that's a pretty bold statement to be having in your head about this guy. Now, did they understand it all? No, they didn't understand it all, but they knew he had authority, he had power. You know what? How do you get your sins forgiven? You have faith. 
You see in Jesus, this guy, Jesus, I see him in the Bible, I maybe experienced a bit of him. I think that he has the authority to lead my life. He has the power to, to help me change in my life. He's, he's the one I want to put my life right before him, right in front of him. I'm here now, and I trust him. You know what? If you do that today, we'd love to talk to you later about it, but in a sense, we don't have to, because at that point, it would be said of you, seeing your faith, Jesus says, young man, young woman, old man, old woman, boy, girl, your sins are are forgiven. Could that be having your sins forgiven at this moment? That's the response in your heart. Yeah, I think I believe that. Well, your sins are forgiven. That's how it goes. And so, if you're a non-Christian, that's really important. If, you're not, if you are a Christian, you might be thinking, I see where this is going. Uh, not a lot for me today, because I know about forgiveness. Now, I wouldn't say I've only just begun, because I've got some other sites to do, but Please, I would urge you, I've got a few more minutes on this, and I really want to urge you to consider something that might be old to you, but has the power to transform your life even again. Can you reflect with me for a few minutes on what being forgiven already means for us? Okay. Because I want to think about this for us. We might nod along, forgiveness. Yeah, I know about forgiveness. I've been a Christian for more years than I can remember. I know we've, we talk about forgiveness all the time, but let's reflect on it again. The fact that Jesus has met our deepest need. He's already done it. Our greatest need. Listen, as, a, as Christians, Paul describes our situation like this. He says that through Christ, we have gained access into this grace in which we now stand. Through Christ, we have gained access into this grace in which we now stand. In Romans chapter 5, verse 2. Grace for you as a Christian will be an idea you're familiar with, but it's not just something that happens to you. It's a realm in which you live. That's what Paul's saying. You step in, oh, I'm suddenly in a new, that my whole atmosphere of my life has totally changed. We know in the realm of grace, we get to be in God's family. We were outside of God's family. We step into the realm of grace. We've been given the rights to be children of God. John chapter 1, fantastic thing. And along with that, there's all sorts of things in this realm of grace. We get God's favor shining on us. That's all right, isn't it? The favor of God. We know God on our side. You might put it like that. Working things for our good giving us hope for the future that even when times get tough and we don't know what's going on, actually, he's bringing the future towards positive consequences for me. We know that as Christians. It's, it's great. We would, if you've been a Christian any length of time we, and been to this church, we'll sing about this stuff. We talk about it all the time. But here's what can so often happen. We can have been in the realm of grace for so long and we begin to feel very, very at home and we forget that our sonship is a right that was given to us. We just think it's a right. We begin to think that we're just here because of something about us or that God somehow had to treat us like this. It's normal. Of course, it's normal for a human being to have the God of the whole universe channeling all his energy into my good. Normal. No, no, that's completely weird. It's the strangest thing about being a Christian. King David had this right. King David knew what it was to live in the realm of grace. And what, what's happening? God is so good to me. And he said this. He said, God, is this your normal way of dealing with man? He was freaked out by this situation. When was the last time 
God's grace freak you out? How can it be that I, as one human being on this planet, get the attention of the God of everything? I couldn't expect the queen to give me the time of day. I couldn't expect a celebrity to even talk to me or respond to a, a, a tweet I put on the internet. The God of heaven loves me. That's very, very strange. And actually, if we start seeing that as normal, we belong here. We belong in the realm of grace. What happens then is sometimes we can start getting cross with God about all the things that he's not fixing for us because we're, of course, here by, um, by, um, by our right. You might be an area of your health. God hasn't healed me yet. Might be in the area of relationships or friendships, romantic relationships, children, parents. It might be your work situation. It might be problems at church. And actually, you might not fall into anger at God, but actually, there is a form of resentment that you'd hold towards God. God, why have you not done this for me? And actually, slowly you withdraw and you draw away from your relationship with God. And it's not a massive thing, you think. But it's a kind of growing cold. And ultimately, if you're honest today, I'm sure there are people like this here. You're disappointed with him because of what he hasn't done for you. If that resounds with you at all, I'd want you to really think again about forgiveness. Because you know what those benefits of being a Christian that we love? Being a child of God, hearing his voice, joy, peace, hope, answers to prayer, living in this realm of grace. Can I be absolutely clear? They are not yours by right. They were won by Jesus and Jesus alone. They were won because one came who could bring forgiveness to you. That was not to be expected. It was a bolt from the blue and it's very, very odd. We love knowing the favor of God, don't we? Favor of God. Brilliant. God is for me. You know what? If you were not forgiven, you would not know the favor of God. In fact, you would not be in some no man's land. In the realm of grace, out here, where are we? No, we know the violent, outside of the realm of grace, we would know the violent and active opposition of God to everything that we do and everything that we are. Realm of grace, where else would we be? No, it's called the Bible, it's called wrath. Because God can't even look at sin. Wow, that's different. What's the difference? Jesus forgave you. He did the one thing you needed. I want to, today, I'm not trying to make light of the other things. Please understand me. I'm not saying your health doesn't matter or your, that situation doesn't matter. Those things are very, very painful and they're important. But what I'd like to do is I'd like to give you a perspective on what God hasn't done for you by focusing on what he has done for you. Look, it, it's important we're honest about our struggles, and we're, we're honest with those things, with God and with each other. But if dwelling on the disappointments means limiting our praise and thanks of God, the God who forgave, that, forgave us, well, that needs, is, is a serious thing. And we need to repent if we get ourselves into that situation. As we know from today, when we repent, he forgives us. He's a forgiving God. We're forgiven. If you're a Christian here, you are forgiven. Everything you've ever done, everything you did this week, everything you do next week, you're forgiven because of Jesus. And it's the most important thing. But Jesus doesn't finish there, does he? Let's go back to the story to finish. Jesus knew what they were thinking, so he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? 
Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or stand up and walk? So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And immediately, as everyone watched, the man jumped up, picked up his mat, and went home praising God. Everyone was gripped with great wonder and awe, and they praised God, exclaiming, We have seen amazing things today. Too right they'd seen amazing things today. Listen, as I said before, we're going to pray for the sick later. Jesus heals this man. I've said it a number of times. It's in the story a number of times, and we're going to do that. However, again, to finish, I want us to see this miracle as well in the context of what this whole passage is about of forgiveness. Because actually, just as the leper gave us a good picture of the effects of sin, so does the paralyzed man. And as Jesus heals the paralyzed man, we see something new about forgiveness just to finish. You see, sin makes us unclean and it separates us from God. We've been over that quite a lot. But did you know this about sin as well? Sin corrupts you, it degrades you, and it cripples you. don't know if you're aware of that about sin. Sin stops us living in the freedom God planned for us. It cripples us through guilt sometimes, through fear. For some it will be through insecurity, through unworthiness through bitterness, hatred, unforgiveness. Those things are not just things we do. They're things that then cripple us. And when forgiveness comes, it doesn't just give us a ticket to heaven. I'm in heaven, thank goodness. And then leaves us lying on our mats. No, it, it gives us fixed relationship with God and then starts the process of inoculation against this crippling illness that we've brought on ourselves. When Jesus says to you, your sins are forgiven, For every single one of you, he also says, get up your mat, off your mat, stand up and go home. He doesn't, I can't promise you he will heal you of your sickness if you become a Christian today. I can tell you this, Jesus never just leaves it, here's a ticket, you're forgiven, here's a ticket to heaven. No, no, the whole point of forgiveness is, here you go, relationship with God restored, and actually crippling effects of sin, let's break this open, let's start to fix this stuff now. Forgiveness, when fully received and understood, doesn't leave us in bondage and paralysis for our lives, waiting for heaven. No, it removes our guilt before God, it fixes our relationship with him, and then it releases power for us to get up and walk in our lives. That's exciting. I'm so glad this is the passage for baptism day. This is a baptism sermon. They go under the water, this is what's going to happen. Esther and Inyong, under the water. And what happens then? That is identifying with Jesus' death. A little bit morbid, possibly. But what it's saying is repentance. The old self is dead. It's gone. I'm repenting. I'm sorry for everything I've done in the past. I'll leave it under the water. That's uh, it's forgiveness. But you know what? Then they're pulled out of the water. And they're not just saying, and now I'm going to try really hard. No, no, what they say is, and now I'm going to live in the power of the Spirit to live a new life. And the power that raised Jesus from the dead, I want to identify with his resurrection. Because I'm going to live in a new power. Forgiveness does both to us. And I would imagine there would be Christians here today who've heard Jesus say, your sins are forgiven. But you're still on your mats. And as I round up now, I want to challenge you. 
if you're sitting out and think, well, this is how it is, I want you to reflect on forgiveness again because this is the power of the Spirit. But it's also as we think about, understand that now we are under the, the unrelenting favor and love of God through one outside of ourselves, Jesus on the cross. You know what? Power comes and we get up and we walk. Thank you, Jesus.